0: Hey guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of the Constructive Liberty Podcast. I um, had a guest lined up for tonight. He has not shown up yet. Hopefully he'll show up here in just a second. I found this guy a couple of years back. I first listened to his podcast. I listened to episode number one hundred and seventy. Uh, back in April of 2020, that was the first episode of his that I that I could go back to that I listened to, and I think it was called something about why your website sucks, <laughs> and so that drew me in because I was just getting into the online, trying to learn how to build an online business. I, I wanted to have a variety of income, or I wanted something else besides what i was doing in just construction and so i was learning about online business found his podcast and actually i found him on instagram too i don't remember if the podcast came first or if instagram came first i'm not sure but i've followed jonathan green for a couple of years and maybe maybe he'll come on tonight i'm not sure hopefully if not then we'll just reschedule and go again and i'll be doing all this intro for nothing but Jonathan Green is his expertise in remote business, high-ticket affiliate marketing, and celebrity ghostwriting. Now, I don't do much thing, much less ghostwriting. Like I just I don't see how somebody could find you know their passion within that. But maybe that's just a business thing. I don't know. We'll probably get into that tonight. The topic that we will be talking about is finding the expertise you can leverage and he just popped in so i'm going to bring him up on screen jonathan green is the host of the serve no master podcast best-selling author of 300 books celebrity ghostwriter and high ticket affiliate marketer who now lives on a tropical island in the south pacific his turn being fired during a blizzard to an online thriving business jonathan welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here again
0: man i i don't you don't know how excited I was to see when your guest application came in like I've followed you and I'm gonna try not to go all fanboy on you. I've been following you for at least two years, going on three years, I tried to go back in the podcast feed and see what was the first episode of yours I listened to, and I think it was episode one hundred and seventy. If I remember right something about why your website sucks so i've I've been a fan yeah. of yours for a while, followed you online, trying to learn and soak up as much knowledge from you as I could and so I'm excited to have you on tonight. but why don't you kind of tell us who you are and um what brought you into the online space online business space?
1: Yeah, I had this dream that I would never have someone who's able to fire me ever again. That's really what it all started for me, losing like my dream job and realizing, wait a minute, maybe this isn't my dream job and kind of wanted to go from there because I got fired from what I thought was my dream job at 29. I was like, what am I going to do? My career is over. Yeah. And I had no plan. And that's really what started the whole journey for me was realizing that when you get fired, you don't just lose your job. You lose your ability to pay your rent, to pay for food, to pay for your kids, to go to the doctor, you lose your health insurance. It's like so devastating. And right. so punishing our society, I said, I don't want anyone to have this much power over me ever again.
0: And that was that was kind of the catalyst that led you into starting your online business, or did you kind of go through some iterations of of a physical business or job searches? What what led you to specifically the online space?
1: I never I said, Oh, I want to build an online business so I don't have to ever talk to anyone in person ever again. Gotcha. <laughs> I thought I work <laughs> online. Live in, I can just work from my office or from my mom's basement or from my bedroom and just not yeah. interact with people, and make a living, and never have to like have coworkers again as well. Like I didn't right. want coworkers. Before.
0: Yeah, there there is something to be said for that. Coworkers can be um, they can be a good thing sometimes, but oftentimes they are your biggest frustration in life. I, I want to kind of jump ahead, you. I, I always ask my guests to send in some questions. And the the last one you sent in is actually one that I think would be a good place to start. Since we're talking about finding expertise you can leverage specifically in the online business space, I, I want to first ask why do so many entrepreneurs fail like the in the online space?
1: I think there's a couple of reasons. The first reason is that the only reason way people want to try it is if it sounds easy. So every time there's a sales page or a sales video promoting a course, they make it sound super easy.
0: <laughs> yeah. If it
1: sounds hard, no one's going to buy it. And then once it gets hard, it feels like, wait, they told me it be easy. This is hard. And so we don't put in that effort. We'll go to college for four years at the hopes of getting an entry-level position, but we won't spend 20 hours watching training videos and trying a system. Yeah. And this is always the case. Every single program or book whether it's a $7 book or a $5,000 program, 90% of people don't finish it. That's where it starts.
0: Hmm. I wonder why Why is that? Have you have you done any research into that? Or like, what was different about you that you stuck with it to, to learn the systems that actually led you to success?
1: Desperation. Like I was in a position, I said, I have to make this work. So my journey started in February of 2010. I lost my dream job. And I had no money left. I lost my apartment, couldn't afford my car, was living in my mom's basement. And I said, I'm, I can't live like this. It's so bad. I have to get out of this situation. I'll do whatever it takes. And that is kind of the difference. It's the engine, the motivation in people that makes the difference. Because a lot of people dip their toe in or they buy 10 or 20 courses. And I used to think that it was about how expensive it is to you. So if you're really broke, a $10 course can change your life and you have more money. Maybe you need to spend $1,000 enough that it feels like I want to recover my investment. But I've seen a lot of people who can't afford it, buy really expensive things and still not take action. So it's not that, yeah. but it's there's maybe it's 10% of people who once they kind of sink their teeth into something, will do whatever it takes to make it work. And these are people who kind of succeed in different areas of life. They're really fit. They have really great friendships. They have really good relationships. They get really good at personal development then, and they also grow their business. So it's all kind of connected. And most people don't want to do things that are hard. A lot of people will buy a course to dabble. It's kind of like you can go to Las Vegas and pay a couple thousand dollars to spend a weekend learning how to fight terrorists with retired Navy SEALs, but it's just pretend. And that's fine. That's great, right? Pretend vacation. I think a lot of people approach different types of personal development in the same way. Like, oh, I'll dabble for a weekend. I'll buy a course, pretend I'm going to do it, but not really. And that's why we call it a side hustle or a hobby, or I'm trying something out so that there's no stakes. Cause it's like, if I fail, oh, my side hustle didn't work out. Not I failed. And so we're already kind of preparing for that moment when it doesn't work. out.
0: Right. Hmm. So if, if somebody has a fallback job or, or a second business and, and they're just say building this online thing on the side, is there a, higher likelihood of success if they're already succeeding in their offline business, or is it a higher likelihood of failure because they have that fallback plan?
1: I think it's more about your approach to life. If you're the way to succeed, and you know this, like how do you grow a podcast? Do a lot of episodes, right? It's just repetition, grinding, putting in effort. That's really the most important element to success Obviously, sometimes people are lucky and there can be a luck element, but most of the time it comes from just sweat equity. And it stinks to say that because obviously we don't want to do that. We want a shortcut. But my success is mostly built around I'll do whatever it takes and I work longer hours harder and more consistently than everyone else. That's why so many people I started out with have fallen by the wayside is because they don't want to work those longer hours. They want security of a job where they get paid whether or not their project works out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you put more time into it, more effort. It's kind of the uh, the Thomas Edison thing, you know. If you he didn't find ten thousand, or he didn't fail ten thousand times, he just found the the way that work was a 10,000 and one try, ten thousand and first, or however, however many time that was. And any any kind of business is the same. You almost have to look at it as an exper- experiment, and Find what's working and what's not working and keep iterating until you reach the success you want. Is that what you found?
1: Yeah. I love how every time someone succeeds, we're like, wow, they're an overnight success. It's a <laughs> 10 we don't count 10 years of work or 20 years <laughs> of work or all of the effort we went beforehand, right? Like or the 18 years, you know, a lot all the great athletes who started out when they were like two years old, if you don't count any of that, like their parents spending hundreds of thousands of hours training, them yeah, they are an overnight success, I guess. Mm-hmm. But we do that. And it's just an unfortunate way to look at the world, right? Because we want everyone to be an underdog. We don't want to root for a favorite, right? We don't want to root for someone whose parents were <laughs> training them from day one. But that's yeah. reality is that that effort and that background is really the key to success. We compare like our back of house like our experiences behind the scenes to other people's front of house like it's very easy for people watching this right now to say oh look at jonathan's office look at those cool lights and all of that stuff mm-hmm. and have a perception but you have no idea what's going on, on the other side of the camera what's on the other side of this window or what my kids are doing downstairs so you can only see this one part it's not right. a full perspective of my world you guys don't know if i'm wearing pants or shorts right now right like it's off <laughs> camera and that's how limited your view is that's yeah. Why we, but we look at someone and go, oh, their life is just like mine, but why is it working for them and not me? Why is it hard for me and easy for them? Because we don't see those things. You know, I work with a lot of really successful people and I ghostwrite a lot of their books. That's a big part of what I do, it's my big skill set. And they have these stories that often don't make it into the book, right? That are just like really bad experiences they're having, whether it's just a devastating marriage situation or a devastating Mm. illness in the family, there's something else going on. And if you knew about that, you'd never want to switch lives with them. I have some people in my social circle that are making hundreds of millions of dollars. I wouldn't switch lives with them because they're dealing with stuff that I don't want to have to deal with. Yeah. So we don't see those things and we then just compare ourselves to one facet. right? And that's not enough. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And so when you're looking at someone else and comparing yourself and going, they're so successful, why am I not? You're only seeing part of the picture. And there's always something else. And sure, sometimes it is they had a fortunate situation or someone gave them a bunch of money or luck came their way. But I can tell you, man, sometimes luck comes your way and you just miss it. No matter what your preparation and backgrounds are, I've blown some really big opportunities because I just missed it when someone said something to me and it cost me tens of millions of dollars because yeah. I just didn't understand what they were saying. And I blew the opportunity. So it can happen to anyone. It's that you keep getting up. Bad stuff happens. One day, my website, my membership area, and my payment processor all crashed on the same day. And I thought Ooh. about just quitting, right? Those happens. Wow. Or I got a bad review of a book that was about to launch. I was like, oh my gosh, I have three days to either accept this or rewrite the whole thing. Bad stuff is going to happen. And that's when you're really tested. So when you're thinking this only happens to me It doesn't. I can tell you this, that the most common questions I get whenever I'm dealing with a client or a customer, someone's asking a question for my podcast, they go, oh, this happened to me. And I go, it happens to everyone. It's not a private experience. It's a universal experience. The more other people have it, the more... Like the more you think you're the only one who has it. Every single person I've ever worked with or talked to about writing a book has imposter syndrome. Doesn't matter how right. successful they are. Brand beginner, someone making $100 million, they go, Oh, I don't know if people can learn from me because of this. And they go, I'm the only one who feels this way. I go, No, literally every client I've ever worked with feels that <laughs> way. I've never met someone who doesn't have imposter syndrome. I'd love to. Yeah. I've never met someone right. who would have some level of that. And we have, we get these thoughts. Oh, I'm the only one who feels this way. But it turns out a lot of people feel this way. Guess what? Everyone's had a bad breakup. Everyone's had something bad happen at work. Everyone's had a mean boss. These are not private experiences. We just think that they are. Everyone's Almost everyone's fallen out of a tree. I certainly have. Yeah. And like, oh, I'm the first person who fell out of a tree. I'm like, no, you're definitely not. <laughs> Someone's probably falling out of a tree right now somewhere in the world, but we somewhere create, and it's important to you in these significant moments, but sometimes you have to go, oh yeah, it happens to other people. Like you could probably find a thousand guys who look a lot like me to be on this podcast. Like I am not a unit. I don't have a unique face. I just don't. Right. There's so many people who have similar experiences and we just have to accept that with 7 billion people, we're not going to be a hundred percent unique. It's our combination of experiences that makes us unique, but just realize the individual experiences that make up your DNA. They're not unique.
0: Yeah. Well, we're all human and, and we all have human experiences uh, with, with that many people on earth. Yeah, like you said, is a high likelihood somebody probably looks like you and has much the same life because I mean, what are the odds? Pretty high. But dealing with those relationships, like dealing with people, talking with the the people that you celebrity or that you ghostwrite for, and and you know, learning that human experience is universal. What part do relationships play, like the relationships that you build? What part do they play in, I don't know, in contributing to the success that you
1: see in your, in your business? Probably 90% of my income is relationship-based. It's mm. from someone who considers me a friend or they're a friend of a friend. And I might be underestimating, the number might be 95, but 10% or less of my income from, from non-relationships like i've closed three really big deals um in the past week and two came from a friend and one came from just random right one came from the, from that 10% and the other two deals are significantly bigger so when I started and it, it was like, I'm going to never have to interact with other people again, it was completely wrong. <laughs> we live in such a handshake business and friendship business and trust business. It's so amazing how we work online and we use contracts less than any other industry, right? It's handshakes and trust and friendships and betrayals and all of that stuff happens like a soap opera, but it's so much who you know. And I'll give you a really simple example. Um, When I first started out, and I was just starting to make money. I was making two or $3,000 a month. I was like, oh, I'm making $3,000 a month. I'm killing it. I can pay my bills. I can rent a small apartment. I can have a life. I joined a mastermind with other people who were all making around $70,000 a month. So they're all making more than me. And what happens is they'll, someone will approach you with a job that's lower than you'll take. If you're, if you charge a certain amount, you're going to say, no, I don't want that. I make $72,000 a year. You come to me and go, hey, this person offered me less than I make, but it's $54,000 a year. I'm going to jump at it, right? It's going to pull me up. When you're surrounded by people that make more, they will give you jobs that they don't want to do. I pass on ghostwriting jobs all the time that are below what I charge. I'm a lot more expensive than when I started. So if a job comes to me and I go, oh, that's only 70% of what I charge, And I bring it to you and you're charging 10% of what I do. I have just seven extra income simply because of relationship. And I feel like you're doing me a favor because you're satisfying a client that I can't take care of. So you're making a ton of money and doing me a favor. That's the simplest way that relationships work. And here's another example If someone, imagine someone calls you today, goes, Hey, I have an emergency. My ghostwriter didn't work out. Do you know someone? What's the first name you're going to think of? just the way Jonathan Green (laughs) You're the only one I know. Yeah. I don't know any other ghostwriters too. Like that's the thing is that when you become unique or you have a unique way of saying yourself that you can, oh, when someone asks for that, then you become the first one they think of. So that's why casting a wide net, letting everyone know what you do can open up so many doors. When I start with people who are first starting writing, they go, oh, I haven't told you when I'm a writer. I'm like, that's where I'm getting clients. So when I started investigating um, audiobook <laughs> narration, because some people who follow me are like, oh, I want to do that. I have a friend from high school who's one of the most successful audiobook narrators in the world. He audio Now he narrates all of the HR videos for all of Europe. So if you're wow. watching a video about what to do if there's an office fire or what to do if your boss is mean to you in Europe, he's probably the voice, and he makes <laughs> a huge amount of money. He's doing amazingly well. And we just went to high school together. We were in one play together, and it's such a fascinating journey. It's really exciting to see someone at the top of a field so there's, and guess what? If you say, Hey, do you know great voice or I go, I do, I know one. Right. And it's very yeah. cool when you start telling people I'm good at one thing. Here's the one thing I do. Even if you're a beginner, if you're the only one, they know all the doors open up. My uncle mm-hmm. moved to England and he had a cosmetology license, which, you know, is haircutting, but in England, they don't call it cosmetology. So because he was the only person the country, the cosmetology license, they gave him a visa to stay because they were posting ads in the newspaper looking for someone with a cosmetology license and no one in England has one because it doesn't exist in England. Right. Just because he came up with a unique name, he was able to live there and ended up owning five or six salons and being massively successful, real business. Wow. And it all started with telling everyone what you do and giving it a unique name. So Ooh. just being, putting yourself out there just a little bit opens up so many doors. Yeah. I pass on referrals constantly because people ask me, do you know someone who knows how to do this? Do you know someone who knows how to do that? Do you know someone who knows how to do a no-code website? Do you know someone who knows how to do this type of copywriting? Those conversations we have with our friends all the time. When we're entrepreneurs, you never know what's going to come up. Like if your website crashed today, you'd be looking for someone who can fix it. Even though you weren't thinking about it yesterday, now you're thinking about it today. And so if I know right. someone or you have a friend, that's what you're going to ask my friends. Hey, do you know someone who knows how to do this? And that's why we build a large network. The larger your network of friends, the more or online friends, whatever you want to call it, the more likely someone is to know someone who has the skill you're looking for.
0: Yeah. I've heard it said, the, the, the bigger your network, the bigger your net worth. And, and that seems to be true. Uh, you mentioned something that I want to pull on just a little bit, talking about how when somebody starts something, they don't, they don't talk about it. It's like, well, I don't have any, like you mentioned the ghostwriting, I don't have any ghostwriting clients. Well, have, any, have you told anybody you write? Why do you think that is that people start something, but don't talk about it? Like they don't, they don't tell anybody.
1: Because we don't want to be rejected we don't want someone to say mm. how can you say your ghostwriting?" I don't have any clients it's kind of a catch-22 and the thing is like if it fails and six months later you're like you never got a client six months later it's like someone hey aren't you aren't you doing ghostwriting uh no i never said that like what do you you're in a situation <laughs> where you're afraid of something bad happening and we're afraid to go out on a limb okay yeah. and say things they're scary for example a lot of people um don't say they're pregnant for the first three months or five months or whatever. I don't like hedging your bets like that. We always, the day me and my wife, no, we always tell. Now we've had a lot of miscarriages and I don't like talking about it. It stinks. It's a real stinky situation. It's a worst. It totally sucks. But I want to bet on each kid. Like when, as soon as we're pregnant, I'm like, I'm telling everyone because I want to bet on that succeeding, even though it hurts. And then people ask about it later and it doesn't feel very good. And that's just my mindset. And maybe that's related to my success is that when I'm trying something, I tell everyone I know and something comes my way. Mm-hmm. A lot of it, You to call it karma, but you put it out into the universe and you tell everyone it's more likely to get heard by someone that needs it. And it can lead to some really amazing opportunities. No matter what you do, whatever your skill is, you're renting out your garage for band, high school bands to use and practice because you soundproofed it. Guess what? You're gonna If you just tell everyone, you're going to get a bunch of clients. It's an real easy business model, right? You're just renting out space you don't use anyways when you're at work anyways, and it's opened some doors. And But we're so afraid of how it feels when people look at us and go, hey, aren't you doing X, but it didn't work out? So that we, instead of risking that bad feeling, we instead risk it not working. We make it less likely to work for right, those because reasons. because you didn't tell
0: anybody. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> so... Yeah the topic you sent in is finding the expertise you can leverage. Now I've talked about failure, not you know not making it online, not talking to people about what you're doing, but how in the beginning before you even start how do we go about finding that expertise to to actually leverage the success that we want to see.
1: So the first step is to go through a self-assessment process. Write down everything you're good about, everything you're passionate about, everything you have. Whether it's space in your apartment, whether it's a car, right? You can put your car on Turo, or you can drive for Uber. Those are revenue streams. And this is we're just brainstorming. This is the brainstorming phase. You can write down anything. Mm-hmm. So you write down all of your assets, your skills, your knowledge, your expertise, your passion, any talents you have. Like if you have perfect balance. There's people with perfect balance. They make a living putting ladders on their face at basketball games. <laughs> That's a good living, right? And like, it's, you wouldn't yeah. think about, oh, perfect balance is a whole thing. That's a the thing. There's only three or four people in the world that can balance anything on their chin. Or it can be your relationships. Oh, I know people that are really good at this. And I know 10 of them. And people would love access to that. It's something I can leverage in a way that is actually valuable, right? Like I can mm-hmm. say, oh, we'll introduce you to this person. Those things become what you can leverage. And so you want to look at everything, relationships, connections, tools, assets, skills. So whatever you do right now, whatever your job is, every single person listen to this, whatever your job is, your boss is paying you less money than you generate. It's a mathematical fact because if they were paying you exactly what you generate, the business would be a break even. If they're paying you less, I mean, they're paying you more than you generate business, go out of business because it's operating a loss. Business Business is profitable. That means whatever you generate is more than you're getting paid. So if you switch and immediately go, I'm going to do what I'm doing now, whatever it is, I'm an accountant, I'm a chiropractor, I'm an I, I'm an optometrist, or I'm cooking food in a fast food restaurant, it doesn't matter. You can make more money doing your own thing immediately as a consultant. Every single person who works for the federal government, the day after they do their 20 years, they come back as a consultant, and they're making two to three times more money. And that tells you that the profit of that company comes, that's where exactly where every company's profit comes from, the space between what you generate and what they pay you.
0: Yep. Yeah. How, you know, you, you've talked a good bit about the, the physical world or the offline world, mentioned some of those jobs. And it seems like there's a disconnect between working a physical job because I'm in construction. I, I grew up in it. I've had my own business for 15 years and still, still operating as solo entrepreneur. I've had employees here and there. But some reason there's a disconnect when you move to the online world and finding how to leverage what you're good at there. Because, I don't know, it's like most people you talk to about, you know, doing things online, they have no idea what that might be. Even if they go shopping on Amazon or, you know, take a course, there's still a disconnect with how you can turn your expertise into income online. How do we find what that is in the online world? I mean, I don't know. Does that question make sense?
1: That's a great question. So the easiest way to do that is to let people know what you do online. It gives you access to a larger pool of people. And let's keep it really simple. The very first client I ever got, I posted an ad on Craigslist. Craigslist is still hot. It still works. It's every single person who's on Craigslist is looking to buy something or sell something. No one goes there for research. It's not a research website, right? You mm-hmm. go, oh, I need to or, oh, I need this painted. You look for someone who's posted an ad on Craigslist. Or if you need to hire someone, you post on Craigslist because people are looking for that, right? And that's really similar. There's a lot of websites like that. That's an easy place to start. Whatever you're good at, look for the right category and just post about it once a week on Craigslist. You will get phone calls. No matter what you post, there's someone who needs it. That's a great place to start. Same thing, LinkedIn. You can make your LinkedIn profile about your side scale. It doesn't have to be about your main job. Now, if it's tied to each other and in your company talks to on LinkedIn, which... I've never met that, but I know it exists, I guess, for some people, then maybe you can't do that, but you can modify your Facebook profile. You can make a second Facebook profile, make a second Instagram. That's a business account, or you can make a business page and you can talk about this other thing and just put the word out of what you do, even if it's something physical, right? Like, let's say what you talk about, you do construction. Construction is you have to be at the place to do it. Well, here's the thing. Construction workers in Alabama and construction workers in New York don't get paid the same wage. In the same way, people who work on oil rigs get mad. There's a massive difference in what they make. I have a friend who's an electrician. He only does electricity on oil rigs north of the, um, what do you call it, the line where there's no sun, right? North of the right, Arctic Circle. Yeah. So he wow. works in really extreme conditions with super high levels of electricity. He works on cables that if you're within 20 feet of them, the electricity will arc to you. I didn't even know that was a thing until he told me. I was like, wait, electricity <laughs> will jump out. The wow, that's, that's you? crazy. And- Guess what he only works 3 or 6 months a year. He does one or two jobs because most oil rigs it's a short cycle because you're there working 24 hours a day and it's really dangerous. But there's also electricians who are living in other countries who are making $100 a month with the same skill set. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you expand where you're willing to work, you can do amazing things. Like imagine let's say you in you build houses. Well, if you expand from just your neighborhood to the entire state, someone in a different area might pay You again, they're used to paying their local workers. Let's say their local worker costs a hundred dollars an hour and you're making fifty dollars an hour, they'll bring you in at 75 because they're making a deal and you're making more money. It's a win for both of you just by expanding the sphere of potential customers. And it doesn't have to be expanding it to the entire world, you can just expand it around the city or around the entire state. There are people, whatever you do, who will pay more money for you to come to their house when. I was living in America 10 years ago and I had a guitar instructor. I said, how much more money can I pay you and you'll come to my house? And he told me a number and I was like, hell yeah. What? Yes, definitely. It was like an extra $5 an hour. Absolutely worth it to me to save me (laughs) driving an hour, forty five minutes in each direction. So it's amazing. And whatever you're good at, your guitar instructor, there's people that want you to come to their house. You cook meals, someone wants you to come to their house. I prefer to have my hair cut at my house. I don't want to go sit, wait in line. It's hot. Air, where you get your haircut here, I live on the equator. There's never an air conditioner. So I want to be outside where it's windy and I can have a nice view and I'll pay for that. So whatever you do, if you expand your potential pool of clients and you're willing to travel to them, just build it into your price and you can do a lot more. And the next thing is that when you don't have a boss, you can change your price. If you work for a large company, the, maybe you'll get a 3% raise at the end of the year. If you're lucky, it's never the same as inflation, right? It's 8%. You're not going to get 8%. But if you work for yourself, you can just double your income in one day. You go, it's ten dollars an hour. The next day, to the next person, you go, oh, it's twenty dollars an hour, and they go, okay, I guess that's what you charge. That's all mm-hmm. you have to do to double what you, whatever your number is, right? If you're making fifteen dollars an hour, you can just tell the next person it's thirty, and here's right. what'll happen: they'll either go okay, because they don't know, or they'll go, oh, that seems high. I'll give you twenty-five. They got a deal, and you just made you now. You're making ten bucks extra an hour. That's yeah. how I built my entire business. It's just every new client, I say a higher number. Until they go, that's insane. And I've been doing that for fourteen years.
0: <laughs> yeah, wow, that, that's awesome. It's the things you learn in business for yourself. Like most people that that haven't had their own business, you know, they never think of those things. And, and it's incredible what you can learn and leverage. I was going to ask you, um, you know, your expertise is remote business and high ticket affiliate marketing, and I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Is is the affiliate marketing something that you got into from the very beginning? Or or at what point did that come along?
1: Definitely in the first or second year, it became a big revenue generator for me. Is that when you're an affiliate and you know what you're doing and you're strategic, because some products will pay you 3% and some will pay you 75. So guess Mm -hmm. what I want to promote? I meet people all the time that are getting 3%. I'm like, why are you doing that? There's a competitor who will pay you 25 times more money for the exact same thing. And it's just as hard to sell something cheap as something expensive, right? If someone right. can afford it and wants a $200,000 car, it's just as hard to sell them that car as someone who can afford it and wants a $30,000 car. There's not a huge difference in the sales process. You just have to sell less units to make more money. So that's why I like high ticket. That's why I like to sell expensive things. The best thing about being an affiliate is once you generate the sale, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to interact with the customer. You don't have to deliver the product. You don't have to do customer support, nothing. All of that's handled by someone else. And of course, if they mess up, that means there's a refund and you lose your income, right? You lose your 50 or 75% of the sale, but they want to keep their money. So they're invested in giving the best customer experience possible. So the beauty of affiliate marketing is you can pay a massive amount of money and you don't have to build any business. You can just have a TikTok account with a link in your bio to whatever you're promoting that month. And you can make tens of thousands of dollars doing that. And that's the easiest and simplest way to do it is just have one link that you just change what it points to with whatever you're promoting or whoever's paying you to promote their offer. That's, it is. Now there's a perception that affiliate marketing is sleazy and that comes from people that promote stuff that's sleazy. It is in every industry, right? Just like there's people that sell cars that don't work. And there's people that sell cars that are amazing. Your job as an affiliate really is to protect your audience from bad offers because that's when you get refunds and chargebacks. You lose the money anyways and you destroy the relationship. So my job is to look at what I know and separate what doesn't work from what does and only put things that work in front of my audience. So you'll never see me talking about crypto or real estate investment or foreign exchange investment or stocks because that's outside my expertise. In the sense that if you showed me two stock trading courses and one was arrows and one was signals, I don't even know what those terms mean. I just know those are two different types of courses. I couldn't tell you if one was fake and one worked. I don't have that expertise, but if you put any type of biz op, make money online, social media, affiliate marketing, TikTok, Amazon business, Amazon merch business, anything in that area, e-commerce, I can go through the course and the sales material and tell if something's wrong. I have the ability to sniff test that your average consumer doesn't, right? Because all the sales stuff is exciting, but I know, wait, there's something missing here. They're missing a step in the explanation that's my, what I'm able to detect that most people aren't right. The average consumer doesn't see hundreds of offers a year. They see one, two, three, they see a couple, or maybe it's the first offer they've ever seen. They can't tell if it's a good idea or a bad idea. My job is not to show them good stuff. My job is to not show them bad stuff. And when you think of it that way, there's actually a lot of value. Additionally, if you buy something through me and maybe I generate 10 sales, small, it's a promotion. I generate 10 sales of $2,000 each. $20,000 in sales. You as a customer, if you refund, that person loses $2,000. But if you tell me and I'm mad, I'll tell all 10 people to refund. And now they've lost 20. That's a lot of power, right? Feels right. a lot worse. Losing two grand stinks. Losing 20 grand really stinks. So because <laughs> you're part of my collective, I have people message me go, Hey, I'm not getting customer support from this company. I go, no problem. I'll call the owner. I can usually solve mm. the problem in three minutes. I'll call the owner or I'll message them on Skype more often. Now I send them an instant message or a text. And because of a relationship, most of the time, like, oh, you know what? That slipped through the cracks, so our team is actually fixing it. Sorry we weren't clear in the email. I'm usually able to fix the issue and solve it within a matter of minutes because of that. Now, what happens is if they don't listen to me, and sometimes that happens, it's a big company, and I don't have a big relationship with the owner. Well, I work with someone named Mike who represents about 40 people like me. Gotcha. So now Mike is representing hundreds of thousands of dollars. They don't want to make him mad. (laughs) And because... Mike has a relationship with me. He gets a small percentage of the revenue I generate because he brings me great offers. He protects me from bad offers in the same way and makes sure that people pay me on time and take care of my customers. So I have this higher level above me that makes sure that my customers get taken care of. So there's these two elements. I protect you from bad things. And if something bad does happen, I help sort it out for you because I'm financially invested. And because, well, I want you to continue to be someone who buys things through me because that allows me to offer you a level of insurance or protection that you don't have when you buy directly from the person without the going through an affiliate link.
0: Cuz it yeah, costs you the well, same
1: amount, difference differences, I can protect you.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense when when you put it that way. Having having that person there or that that level of protection where, you know, if if something doesn't go right or if they're not taking care of their customers, it is a lot more of a pain, you know, for those customers to walk away. When it's something like that, like some of those high ticket things, is it always something that you've tried and tested or, or how do you personally make the judgment on on what kind of things to promote?
1: Sure. So I go through a series of steps. It's literally impossible for me to go through every program that comes across my desk yeah, and to test it. So the average course that someone sends me is 20 hours. That's half a work week of watching all the content. Then to also test it would take me three to six months. I don't have time to do that. It's just physically impossible because by the time I do that, the program is no longer for sale. Yeah. So I have to create a different series of steps. The first thing is I look at the person's reputation. Do I know somebody who knows them? That's a big deal. Reputation is huge in the affiliate marketing world and the information space because if someone doesn't pay affiliates or doesn't do refunds or messes around with numbers or anything like that, well, that word's going to go I won't do business with them. So the first thing I look at is reputation. The second thing is I look at the sales page and the sales material and see if there's anything in it that I'm uncomfortable with, whether it's language or big promises or... There's a lot of products I think are really cool, but the promises they make on the sales page are, don't sound like me. They're so crazy, I can't promote the offer.
0: Yeah. Because it's just... Okay.
1: It's I could buy a $7 course and I'm be a millionaire. It's pretty unlikely. <laughs> it's too much of a... Right. So that's the next thing I look at. And then I look at the logic train of the system. Does the series of steps make sense? Oh, if you do these series of steps, there's a possibility it works. Because sometimes there's a step missing and I go, oh, this won't work. I'll give you a great example. There was a product three or four years ago, did really, really well. And I went through training a few times, but you only realize that he talked about running a free type of event, but he only ran paid types of event. I was like, wait, he's missing the step about how to do the paid part. And because I tried, I put a lot of money. I actually tried that thing a few times. I was like, it cost me thousand dollars Why isn't this working for me? So it took me a while to figure it out. And that happens, right? There's a missing step. Now that will never happen to me again. I go, oh, now I know what to yeah. look for is this tiny micro thing. It's like as when he was showing the ad example, he was showing an ad example to a free event, but he only runs paid events, and it's completely different. So those are the types yeah. of things that you that I can look for. right? I go, there's something wrong in the logic train. The next thing I look at is how are they handling payments? What system are they using? How is the money handled? What's the refund policy? Some products have a 14-day refund policy and you pay the person in a way that they give you refund if they want. And if they don't want, there's nothing you can do. You have no recourse. Other people use a system where it's completely automated. You, send, you click a link and you get your money back. So there's a wide spectrum of how the refund policies are handled. Some people Um, I've seen people who are making hundreds of millions of dollars and then they pay for the cheapest support you've ever seen. They'll pay someone $4 an hour to handle their customer service. That's insane. And so the Mm -hmm. customers have a bad experience. I know someone that did that last year and I think they lost $6 million in one week because they cheaped out on their customer service team. They saved a couple hundred dollars. It cost them $6 million and damaged their reputation. (laughs) That's what can happen. So there's... And... People do, doesn't matter how successful people are, sometimes they do dumb stuff. So there's, I look at all of that stuff. I look at who do they have running the promotion? Does the product work? Does it have a reputation that they run in the past? Do they have students that it's work for? So I look at all those things. I look at the content. Goes anything missing? Does this make sense? Can this work? So, and then is there enough time? I like if there's enough time for someone to test something and make sure that it works, right? So they have a good refund policy. You have like weeks or months to go through it. That allows you to make sure That if it's not right for you, you can get your money back. I like those things, Mm -hmm. right? I need refunds, but I don't want to be able to, right? Because I don't want to lose the money, but I'd rather maintain the relationship. So I like a nice 30-day refund policy because that's kind of reasonable. Sometimes there's 60, which is a little bit long because it's like, no, you should... If you pay something for thousands of dollars, you should be trying it, right? You shouldn't be waiting 59 days and going, wait, I didn't try. That's a little (laughs) bit much, but I want... I want you to be able to have enough time to try it. If a product has like a five-day refund policy, I'm like, that's insane. That's not enough time for people. I can't do that, right? If they buy it on Monday and they can't look at it till Saturday, Sunday, that's too much pressure. So yeah. I want them to have enough time to really try it. So that's part of my process. There's a whole decision-making calculus that goes through all of that stuff. So my having done this a long time gives me an advantage over someone who's brand new. So let's say for you're sure. brand new. You have no idea. You can't sniff test. You don't have that skill set. Well, then you just look at what I'm promoting and go, well, Jonathan sniff tested. I'll only promote stuff he does because there's a lot of stuff I turn down. Hmm. I, or you can pick someone else it doesn't have to be me, but that's a great way to start is to go, oh, I'll see what someone else is running. I'll promote the same stuff. I'll do it in a different way. I'll do it to my audience, but this way, at least I know it's been through their verification process. And that gives me like a little bit yeah. of a leg up when I'm starting out. As I get better and better at it, then I won't need to follow other people. But that's a great place to start.
0: Hmm. Wow, that's, that's great. I, I never thought of looking at it like that. Like, I've, I've looked at the affiliate marketing stuff, but I, I was never sure how to go about finding, you know, what to promote. And even, I mean, as you learn more about it, you realize that almost every product online, you can sign up somehow to, to be an affiliate for. And, and that's not something you even think about until you get into that world. But like, it's, it's really a new thing to look at, you know, follow somebody, say like you who does affiliate marketing and be like, Oh, okay. That, that has their seal of approval. What are the products similar to that or even that same product can I promote? Um, We're at about 40 minutes. I don't know how much time you have. As much as you need. Good. Good for another 15 more minutes. Okay. Yeah. Um, Talk about the, uh, the ghostwriting thing a little bit. (sighs) You, how did you get into that and kind of talk about how you draw out somebody's story to to write a book for them? Like I, I know how I would write my book if I were a writer. I would have no idea how to how to do that for somebody else.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I've been writing books for revenue since 2010. <clears throat> I used to have a really successful blog. Someone found the blog and said we write a book for us, and that kind of opened the door to me to that world. And I still get royalties from that book, which is amazing. So I've made a lot of products for other people and stuff along the way. And then someone reached out to me maybe seven or eight years ago. I was like, hey, we have an emergency. We hired someone to make a product. It's not ready on time. We write a book for us? It has to be ready in four days. And it kind of, that started opening the door to other clients coming in. That was obviously a lot lower money than I make now, but it just kept coming my way. And more than a few times I've said, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, right? I don't want to do this, but I'm so good at it. So I've kind of, it's my circle of excellence. Like I'm a really good writer and I'm really good at eliciting a great story. As far as how I create a great story for someone, I ask the right questions. Yeah. Um, I'm working with someone right now who hired a writer before me who didn't ask the most important question. And I'm and like, of course the book didn't work because the first question, is, what do you want from the book? What's your goal? Some people just want a book that's prestige. That's great. There's no rules. You can do whatever you want, right? Because there's no specific goal. Some people want to speak from stage. Well, then the entire book has to be written. Like you're someone who speaks from stage. If you want more coaching clients, we have to write it in a different way. Because all of our examples would be, oh, I was speaking from stage and someone asked this question or a coaching client had this experience, right? We changed the examples we use in the book based on what we want people to think of you as. A lot of people I work with, they want to build a mailing list. Great. Everything in the book is driving towards, hey, I'm going to offer you something cool at the end of the book. If you give me an email address, hey, there's something cool coming up your way. Be ready to give me that email address, you plant that seed. You yeah. don't start from there. You don't know where the book is ending. So the first thing I ask is that question. What's if you can have someone take one action after reading your book, what's that one action? And the reason it has to be one is if you ask for two, they'll do zero. There's some podcasts and maybe you've heard this where at the end they go, hey, thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Stitcher, follow us on Stitcher Premium, follow us on iTunes, listen to us on Google Play Store, leave a review there, follow us on Twitter. It's so many, you can't even follow the list. And so they don't do anything, right? If the shows that say, oh, we only want reviews this one place, only reviews on iTunes, then you can do it or not do it. It's a yes, no question instead of saying, wait, what do you want me to do? And then you miss yeah. it, right? Because when you ask people to do too much, you're asking for too many things. Make it a yes, no question. They're more likely to say yes or say no, but that's fine too. But at least it's a clear decision. The second thing I say is what emotion do you want people to feel at the end of the book? Now, the answer is almost always hope. 90% of people just say hope. Kind of like when you say to 90% <laughs> of people, what's their, what's their hobby? They say travel. And that's fine. So we try to kind of figure out that feeling and that gives us the end of the book. So now we know what we're driving towards. We have a destination. The book is going somewhere. And then to start the book, um, there's three ways to start a book. And usually the question I ask is what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you that I'm allowed to put in the book?
0: Hmm, That's a good question.
1: It immediately create, because The purpose of a book is not to demonstrate your expertise. No one reads a book to find out how smart you are. People read your book to find out if they like you. So my job is to make you likable. It doesn't matter how successful you are right now, how skinny you are right now. Did you used to be fat? Did you used to have a bad experience? Have something bad happened to you? Because that's when people go, oh, I had a parent who was sick too. I broke my leg too. I know what it's like to have a bully. Those experiences that I mentioned earlier, right, that we think are unique, but actually universal. That's when people fall in love with you. Oh, this person knows my pain. Because we want to connect with people who know how we feel. That's the most valuable thing. And that's like the really, really successful people out there. When people always say, oh, I felt like they make me feel like the most important person in the room. That's the secret to great politicians, great people in a lot of industries is that they make you feel so important. And they do that by creating rapport, which is the sense that, hey, we're on the same journey together. You get me, right? That's what we want is for someone who is successful to say, I understand you. I understand your pain. I've been where you are. And I, I understand you. I hear you. I speak your name. I feel your pain. That's so valuable. That's what we all want. We all want to feel significant. So that starts with, oh, I've been somewhere bad too, right? If you just say, I was born rich and I'm still rich, no one's going to relate to that.
0: Yeah. So that's, (laughs) you got to be relatable.
1: Yeah. And everyone has that experience. You know, we've all had different bad things happen to us. And it's not about, Stakes. This is another mistake people make. It's not about life and death. It's about your reaction, how you felt in the moment. If you were really scared that you were about to get a spanking or that your parents are going to send you away to military school, even if there wasn't that real possibility, because you were emotionally invested, that's a great story. So it's about how emotional mm-hmm. you felt. Because people don't care about the event. They care how you felt about it. And this is a great lesson for if you're ever like for me, like, why is my wife not interested? What does she want to hear? She doesn't want to hear about the, the hobby. She wants to hear about the hobby makes me feel right. I can, you can be into comic books. It's fine. But if you talk about how comic books help you understand race relations as a kid, because you didn't fit in because you were different race than everyone else at school. And that's why you like X-Men. X-Men just went from nerdy to very Ooh. attractive all in how you describe huh. it. So it's when you're excited by something and you demonstrate that it connects to you, then people get really interested. People are interested in how your hobby makes you feel more than the actual hobby in the same way. They're interested yeah. in how that moment, that high intensity moment made you feel where you scared, where you look because people, re- people react to like stressful situations in different ways. Some people curl up and get really scared. Some people go into action mode. Some people cry. There's a whole range and that's really interesting. That's what we want to see. That's the voyeuristic part of ourselves. What did this person feel like? Oh, I felt that way too. We have a natural desire when someone reveals something vulnerable to reveal something vulnerable back, right? Earlier on, I mentioned to you, I talked about my my wife going, my wife more than me going through miscarriages. Your first thought was probably, oh, I should say something else that's happened to me that's similar to create parody, because we all have that natural instinct. Now I kept talking so you wouldn't feel obvious to do that. That was intentional on my part because I wasn't trying to create that from you. That's what we do, right? When someone reveals something, oh, I got to reveal something too. Someone reveals something more, I got to reveal something too. So by being vulnerable (laughs) at the beginning, yeah. You also get it out of the way, right? You've said the most vulnerable thing first. Now, whatever else you want to talk about, it's not scary anymore because you've said mm. the vulnerable thing first yeah. and it creates an effect. And obviously I want it to be a real experience. And sometimes we have to, it takes multiple versions of asking that question. Sometimes people don't have it. And then we have to say, well, what's the moment that made you want to do this? And they're like, oh, well, actually I got passionate about this industry because I saw someone else in a bad situation. I wanted to help them. Okay. That's your story, right? It can be your origin story. That's like the reason you're so passionate or the reason you're writing this book. And so my real skill is that I know when something's boring. If yeah. someone's being boring, I go, this isn't going in the book. And I'll ask questions <laughs> that are interesting. That's why the books I write are interesting because I don't want to write about things that are boring to me. If it's boring to me, it's going to be boring to the reader. So I'm kind of screening out the boring. And it's hard when you're telling your own stories. It's hard to know if something's boring or not. Right. That's why it helps and when they're helping you, whether it's a book coach or a writer or a friend, and. It's hard if you ask your friends, which of my stories are boring. They're not going to tell you because they don't want to lose the friendship, right? Because you have these (laughs) other stakes involved. Whereas I can do that. I've had clients send me 20 hours of audio recordings. and I go, great. I'm going to use seven minutes of this. I have to listen all 20 (laughs) hours and it makes me crazy, but I can use so little of it. Happens all the time. I had someone tell me a really amazing, very personal six hour story. I go, great. We're going to lose, use the last 15 minutes because that matches when the, the book starts. And that other stuff you can use in another book, but this is the one for this book. So Mm. that's not easy to do to say to a friend or your spouse or someone you work with or whatever, but it's, it's a client. That's what they're paying me for is to let them know. Here's the thing about you. That's most interesting. Here's what makes you likable. Sometimes clients want to put stuff in a book. I'm like, this will make everyone hate you. We can't put this in there. Right? Like, uh, was it? Prince Harry, whoever just wrote that book. Everyone hates him now. He put in all that stuff in the book that you should never say, right? Like, oh, (laughs) did you guys forget that one time I dressed up as a Nazi? I would have never let him put that in the book. I would have shut that down. I'm like, hey, you know what? Don't mention that, right? Don't put that in the book. That's the thing you don't put in the book. You want it forgotten, right? But that's, it is what it is. He probably demanded. I'm sure the ghostwriter probably said, are you crazy? And he goes, you got to put this in. It happens, right? So- that's my job is to go. Don't tell people this story because you think it's a good story, but other people are hearing a different thing, right? You hear it's like, oh, this is a story when I made a dumb mistake. Everyone here is like, this guy's the worst. That's He tells the story and here's one thing, but everyone else hears something different.
0: Yeah. And this
1: can happen. People misinterpret. Sometimes um, people put something in their book. This happens and they, I go, if you keep this sentence and this is what people are actually going to think. Are you okay with that? And sometimes I go, oh gosh, I'll change it because it's a big misinterpretation. I'm like, there's two ways to read the sentence. I work with someone and she'd written a story in a way that made it seem like she um, was very callous simply because of the way the timeline worked out. And she was, no, that's not me at all. And so we were able to fix it because I, mm. even though she was writing one way, I read it in another. I said, this is how people will read it. So we need to modify it so it actually matches the truth. Because sometimes we are talking to a stranger and there's no voice. It's just reading words on a page. There's a lot of room for misinterpretation. We've all had a text be misinterpreted and it's exactly the same thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Wow. (laughs) Sounds like a a lot to learn and a lot to get into. And you definitely have to have the the story aspect down to, to be able to get somebody else's story, make it interesting and relatable and convey that message, which can be super difficult. With all of that, all we've talked about, the all the online things, the remote business, you know, the affiliate marketing and the ghostwriting, which of that is the thing that you're most passionate about that you love the most?
1: Yeah, a lot of people will say one thing. I usually think they're lying. It fluctuates for me. A year and a half ago I said I'd never ghostwrite another book again because I just got burned out on dealing with clients. And mm-hmm. right now I've just taken out a bunch of new clients and it's like they're all really cool projects. So it goes back and forth. That's kind of why I rotate between a couple of things. Um, they're the things I love doing. Sometimes I really love one thing and sometimes I love something else. And also I'm a big believer in risk management. If you only have one type of thing going on, you can have a bad month and it can really stink. But if you have two or three yeah. rods in the fire, I kind of, I had to talk to my wife the other week. I was like, I've got four projects this month. As long as one hits, we're going to have a great month. And three out of four hit. And the one I thought would hit is the one that didn't. Right? Mm. The one that like, it and that happens, but that's why I diversify. The other three hit really, really well. And I'm kind of, it's one of the best weeks we've had in a really long time. So it happens and that's just yeah. part of the process. So again, it's the same way I, if you have one boss or one revenue stream, you're a little bit vulnerable in the same way if you only right. do one thing. So I'll have a really good affiliate marketing month and there's no ghost writing clients, but I'll have a great ghost writing month and they feel like things not working kind of goes back and forth. Um, I can't stop writing. I noticed last year one of my friends when I said I'm not doing my ghost writing clients, she was like, "What's going on with your blog? You're cranking out posts." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm not writing for clients. So I'm just writing lots more blog posts. Mm. So I'm going to write either way.
0: <laughs> Might What's as well
1: write." I, I, I love writing. I love writing books. I'm very passionate about it, and it's something that I really enjoy. So it circles around. If you only have one thing, it can be hard. So for me, I really like affiliate marketing. I really like email marketing. I really like building a mailing list. I also like writing books. I like the things I do. And I'm very fortunate that I've built together three or four ways of making money. They're all things I really like doing and I'm pretty good at.
0: Yeah. that's If we could all find more things that we actually enjoy doing that pay us fairly well and support our lifestyle, I think the world would be a much happier place. Like it, It is... It's depressing when you get sucked into something that suddenly you realize, you know, you, you hate your life because you have to do this thing that's supporting you. And if you walk away from it, how are you going to pay the bills at the end of the month? That's just, that's the worst feeling in the world. What What's it like working or living where you do a Pacific Island, no coworkers? Does that ever so, get lonely yeah. and depressing? How How is yes. that for you?
1: Yeah. One of the things no one ever talks about is that there's a massive amount of depression in entrepreneurship because you're alone all the time. As people Mm. discover the last few years that when you're alone all the time, you go stir crazy. You start to cycle. You start to think the same thought over and over again because there's no one to talk to out loud. So there's a lot of that. And it's unfortunate we very rarely talk about entrepreneurship, that when you go from working in office, you start working at home. It's very similar to uh, when a woman has her first child and stays at home with the child and then there's a postpartum depression. Part of that is I'm not around adults anymore, so you miss that human connection, and so that's and obviously there are different parts, but that's where it's similar: is that oh, I'm not around other people; it's lonely. So whether wherever you're working, right, if you're working at home, that's why people do co-working spaces and all of those things. Those I don't like those things; doesn't work for me. Doesn't mean it won't work for you. I used to have a friend who could only work in bars on a high top table, so he would stand <laughs> for like twelve hours working on his laptop. I'm like, my back is on fire. How are you doing this? It's so yeah. distracting. It's so noisy. But that's how he worked. Other people work in coffee shops. Other people work from home. Everyone's different. So you have to find what works for you and that's fine. But there is going to be challenges of loneliness. I am very intentional about where I live in my lifestyle. We live somewhere amazing. You know, we have an unbelievable house. I'm so fortunate. We just moved in last year. I never thought I'd live in a house this nice. It's so fortunate. We live on the beach on a tropical island where people go on vacation. We have a pool. We have a great situation. Really, really the stars aligned. Now, of course, we moved through a lot of houses to get here. So yeah. it wasn't like we just lucky, right? There was a lot before the open <laughs> so, <laughs> so those are the things that I value. One time my friend was like, what do you do when you want to go to the opera? I was like, well, you got to fly to another country. Like, you don't have that here. What do you want to do when you go to a star Star restaurant? We don't have those, right? And So yeah. there's a trade-off for what you like. Some people hate silence. I used to live in the middle of London, go out every night of the week to really loud clubs. I did all that. I like the quiet here. I like that I can see the stars. I like that my kids have fresh air and they, we live next to a whole bunch of monkeys and we have a bit of a detente Mm -hmm. with them because sometimes they try to steal your food or pee in the pool, but (laughs) that's exciting, right? You're a piece of nature. How many people in America have never seen a a monkey, let alone a monkey like living next door, right? So that's very exciting. And those are the things that I value, but it's so important to write down your dream life. Because some people, my life is a nightmare. They go, wait, I want to live in a big city. Some people, they just want to pay off their mortgage, pay for their kids to go to college, pay off their car and have that type of freedom. That's fine. Other people want to live in the mountains and live in a cabin. Great. And that's why there's, you know, everyone has different dreams. If we all have the same dream, it'd be really tough. If everyone in the world wanted to live on this island, it would be really crowded. So figure (laughs) out what makes you happy and what you can put up with. The power goes out here three or four times a week. Power went out Monday for like 12 hours. So you have to, and then our generator didn't work. Our landlord has this ancient generator that looks like it's from an old Stephen King movie and it never works. (laughs) No matter how much we pay the guy to fix it. So there's a trade-off. Some people that would make them go crazy, right? Mm. And he can't deal with that because they need constant this, constant that. And I don't want to adapt to those situations. That's fine. So you figure out what's okay for you and what's not okay for you. And then you find what's the best situation. There are a lot of benefits and disadvantages to everywhere in the world. Most people, I think they live and die within 25 miles of where they're born because they never consider it. There are some amazing places to live all over the world. Guess what? Moving to Hawaii is not that hard. Everyone thinks Hawaii is expensive. Not true. Did you know that residents of Hawaii get a special card that gives them a massive discount everywhere? So they pay different prices at the grocery store and at every restaurant? Hmm. That means that you think it's expensive. It's actually not for them. So you can live in Hawaii off a normal wage and have an amazing life. But most people don't know that because they've never done a Google search. They watch Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous or Cribs. And so, well, this must be true. So this is the rules and they never do any research. It's laziness, but that's the result of that. But whatever you want, it's achievable. And it depends. Guess what? I don't see my family that often. I, my dad has only met Two out of my four kids, my mom hasn't met any of them. So there is a sacrifice that comes with it because traveling with our large family, it's very expensive. And the flight to visit, I was looking actually yesterday, and it's 24 hours from when we leave the airport to arrive at the airport in America to visit my parents and 30 hours on the way back. And I was like, oh boy, I don't want (laughs) to spend that many hours. I don't want to be on a plane with my kids for that long. So there's challenges with everything and there's a price. So there is a price to this lifestyle, but the advantage is my kids have never been in weather that's below 65 degrees. They have no idea what cold means. They have no concept of snow. They're like, we can wear swimsuits and swim in the snow. It's made of water, right? That's <laughs> <kind> <laughs> of, <laughs> they've yeah, <laughs> yeah. They've had different experiences and there's trade-offs. So you have to figure out what do I really want? What are my no deal breakers? Do I really want access to this? We don't live near a great hospital, right? You got to take care of your health here. So there's trade off so, yeah. and as I age, probably my load balance will change and I'll move somewhere else. Right. As I get older, I'll probably need to be near a better hospital and that's okay. But that could be part of decision making calculus. What's important to me and what's not. Right. Do I need a car? It changes what if I live life. Somewhere? Yeah. Just think about whatever you pay for your car. I was paying like $500 a month between my car and insurance and then gas was maybe another 200. Imagine if you just live somewhere where you don't need that anymore. Now you have an extra $700 a month. That's an extra oh, $8,400 a year, $8,000. Would you? It's easier, right? It's easier to save $8,000 than to make it. And I have a friend who lives in America and he lives in a golf cart community where everything is close and you just drive golf carts everywhere. <laughs> so there's no cars there at all. He doesn't need a car to go anywhere. Amazing. Ooh. So you don't even have to leave America to yeah. have amazing experiences. There's all these crazy options. You don't need a car to live in New York. A lot of big cities have public transport. You don't need it. So- there's a lot of options. As soon as you go, do I really need this? Like when my wife talks about should we buy a car, I say, well, how often would we drive it? And we look at the cost of a car, and it's cheaper for us to ride around in a limo. We don't do that, but it would still be cheaper to ride a limo every time we drive anywhere because we don't drive that often. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. If, like you, you,
0: if, if you if you put all those things together, it definitely. You know, we we have a lot of luxuries that we could do without. And that we could cut back on. And, and that, that makes total sense to figure out, you know, what what is most important and then to to build a lifestyle around that. I love it. Jonathan, you've given us a lot of value. Like, I, I, I can't wait to go back and listen to this again. If somebody wants to learn from you, do you have any courses or, or books of your own to, to help people along, you know, in in learning the online business space?
1: Yeah, I have a book called Fire Your Boss. You can grab it on Amazon. It's free, or you can go to give to and you can get it for free. I like to give to get free and you can just download it. So either way you can grab it. And if you search for serve no master, every Google search result is me. Every Bing search result is me. So those are the two ways to find me. You can check out my podcast, serve no master podcast. You can visit my website, serve no master. And, but yeah, just read one of my books. The best thing you do is read one of my books and go, I like this guy or I hate this guy. Because if I'm not the right mm-hmm. person for you, that's okay. You can find the right person for you. Yeah. Awesome. I'll have those links
0: in the show notes. I really appreciate your time tonight.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. And right here.